sitting face to face I am yours, Jesus, you are mine In your perfect peace the earthly pain finally will cease Shouted away, Jesus is alive He's alive Good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you are visiting with us, we want to say welcome. If you're online, we want to say welcome. If you're in the room, we want to say why. Why did you guys get up and do this? What are, what are you thinking? You have the internet. We can just log in. But yeah, we want to just welcome everybody. Uh, something we say every, uh, try to say every day or every Sunday is don't just be a spectator. We have four or five songs here to sing to our king. Uh, join in. Join in with us. Thank you. 
soul and free. The song of galaxy.
If you're able, would you please stand and read God's word with me this morning? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Is there in the newborn cry? There in the light of In the shadows of this night, you great grace. There on the mountain top, there in the everyday and the mundane, there in the sorrow and the dancing, you great grace. Such From the creation to the cross, there from the cross into eternity.
creation to the cross there from the cross into eternity your grace finds me yes your grace finds me and how great is our God Sing with me, how great is our God, oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God, oh, how great is our God, sing with me, how great. 
Father God, sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, oh how great is our God. Oh, we stand amazed in your presence. We stand amazed that you call us your own, Lord, as that scripture we read that it was your plan to adopt us. It was your plan to bring us into your family. And, and not only that, Lord, it says it gave you great pleasure. And Lord, that you look upon us and you smile and say, those are my kids. So God, we ask, Lord, that you be glorified this morning. We ask, Lord, that these songs will glorify your name. And we ask, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, that the same spirit that is in each and every one of us would guide us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, good morning. How's everybody doing today on this nice, warm, sunshiny day? So I'm up here this morning just to remind y'all that we are in mission, our mission month that we, that we do every year. This is the third year. And a reminder that each Sunday we'll have a video. Um, really want y'all to be praying for our missionaries. I know we do all the time, but especially this month. And as we show these videos, just think about where they are and, and, and so forth. Uh, this one we're showing today is a local ministry, it's Salvation Army. And I know a lot of times we think of the Salvation Army as a worldwide mission, which it is, but it's also a local mission. And we support Salvation Army here. We do have members in our church that are on the board, but we support the local Salvation Army here because they really meet the needs of local people. This past year, during the pandemic, they were really serving thousands upon thousands of meals. They, serve, they hand out food on a monthly basis. And they're doing all this while they're sharing the gospel. So this, this is a great ministry, local, that y'all can get involved with. There's all kinds of opportunities. They just bought a new, or have been given a new canteen by national headquarters, mobile food truck, to go around and serve people during disasters or weather like this or whenever it may be. And there's opportunities to volunteer for that. So if you're interested in that, you can call the Salvation Army's main number and ask them about the training schedule to be, to be involved in that. And then there's an ongoing need with people helping to, uh, to help them serve food or hand out food. So it's a great opportunity on a local basis to be involved in missions. So we're going to show this video, and y'all have a great day. Talk to you later. Hi, my name is Captain Jennifer Phillips with the Salvation Army located here in Lufkin, Texas. We've been serving here for almost 80 years um, to the whole community. And who we normally serve is just a variety of different individuals from senior citizens all the way down to um, children that are in families through a variety of programs. We are located at 412 South 3rd Street here in Lufkin, and we serve all of Angelina County. Why we do this ministry, the big picture of it is our mission statement. It is to meet human needs in Jesus' name without discrimination. And there's so many different ways that we can meet the different needs of today, especially during COVID-19. What we've seen in the last year has mostly been a, a huge need for food assistance. And so we've really ramped up our efforts through our feeding program, through our community kitchen, and then also feeding efforts in our food boxes that are given out with fresh food supplies twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, in the afternoon between 1.30 and 
We've also seen an increased need in rental assistance with so many people dealing with unemployment or reduced hours and wages. Uh, we see a real need for basic, those basic essential needs like rent and utility assistance. So we've seen a, a, a large increase in that as well over the last um, year. Day to day uh, looks different each day and what we do, but um, we do try to meet those human needs. And recently we've had a couple of different things that we've served into. Salvation Army does a large gambit um, from people helping with people with homeless prevention services, but then also helping people that are homeless to try to get them into housing. Um, also some things that we do that you might not be aware of is disaster services. So we had a team that we sent out during Hurricane Laura and we will have a canteen very shortly by mid-February to service um, families here locally, our homeless community or people that are in need, but also then whenever disasters do strike in our area for us to be able to have a team to go and respond to that. And why do we do what we do for the kingdom? Well, that's that's where we do what we do every day is for the kingdom of God um, and to hopefully instill kingdom values because um, we don't know if a, a bottle of water or a meal might be something that significantly changes someone's life. The love of Christ and the acts of kindness that we give out definitely do open doors to be able to give kingdom values and have conversations that we might not been able to have otherwise. Also, just letting people know that there's hope. There's hope for something greater, that the moment that they're in right now is not the end of their story, and there's still a future, and there's still things to come. There's an eternity waiting for them. And just updates of what's going on at the Salvation Army here. We would love to have volunteers. If you'd like to volunteer, please let us know. Like I said, we are always feeding uh, Monday through Friday at our community kitchen. So come down during lunch hour from 12 to 1. I guarantee you will walk away blessed. Also, our food boxes on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. We always need help with that. And uh, new things, if you'd ever like to help assist in our homeless shelter, we're looking for people to do things like haircuts or um, assistance in those types of ways. We uh, thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your prayers, for your encouragement, and we thank you for supporting the Salvation Army as we continue to try to do the most good here in the Lufkin community serving Angelina County. It is uh, such a privilege uh, to participate in ministry with ministries uh, like Salvation Army. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with them outside of the kettles, they are unapologetically evangelistic uh, in all that they do. And uh, the goal of our mission team isn't to be everything to everybody, but actually to coordinate with other ministries that are already doing good work. And uh, as Robert had said, we have several of our, our men uh, and maybe women on the board with them. I think it's just men at this time. But uh, on the board of the Salvation Army, man, I, they have a they they house people, um, and uh, some of you who are familiar with them, they do have a church. They have churches all over the country that are evangelistic, and we're not in competition. We're in support mode uh, for the kingdom of God. And so, um, thank you in, in in light of that, and uh, thank you for how you give. 
Man, um, I'm thinking this morning, well, let me, let me step aside and say happy Valentine's Day. Uh, even if you don't have someone special, uh, you are deeply loved by God. Uh, you are his Valentine, whether you know it or not. Uh, and he loves you guys. He loves us. Uh, he's concerned for the world we live in. He's concerned uh, about the difficulty life is, but not concerned enough for him to take us off task. So while he sits next to the Father on the throne, he's talking to him and the Holy Spirit about us. That's what Hebrews says. And he loves you. Don't let your circumstances determine your belief system. Your belief system should help you understand your circumstances. And uh, happy Valentine's Day. If this is a holiday of love, you have never and will never be more loved than by God who sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins so that his ultimate plan of adoption could be accomplished. So um, for those of you especially who are lonely this season, um, just remember you're not alone even if you're lonely. Um, and uh, having said that, I just, I just want to thank you again. It was so cool yesterday to write an email out to all of our church family and say, you know, with the weather unknown, watch online or come into the building. There's probably 100, 150 of us in the room, and there's many, many more of you watching online. And this, none of this could happen. We, we gather every Sunday at 8 o'clock, the tech team, and, and I want to thank them for their faithfulness. They were going to come out, whether it was icy or not. They just slid into the parking lot. See what I did right there? Um, and uh, we were ready to have nobody in the room. And, and well, we did that for three, three months during the pandemic. But I just want to thank you for giving faithfully. Uh, we couldn't support the Salvation Army, have a missions month, have the lights on, the heater on, or even project this through the internet without you giving. And uh, I know sometimes it feels like you just send a check-in or you just do your thing, but it really supports a lot of things that are going on. And we've been able to help some of our family members this last month that are really struggling. And uh, so I want to encourage you to give. And it is a different day in the church where you can have a fire in your living room and uh, if you have a fireplace and, and have a cup of coffee and eat a donut while, while you wa uh, participate with us in worship. Chad always reminds you, don't be a spectator. Uh, I do want to say that it adds 50 pounds. I'm actually much skinnier. Chad is much skinnier than he looks online. Almost emaciated to that point. But uh, anyway, thanks for logging in. Thanks for giving. I do, I'll take the opportunity to tell you that you can give online. Just don't forget, you can go to our webpage and give online. You can even text to give and different things like that. So you can consistently be faithful. But thank you for your, your faithfulness in that. Um, and when I mention giving, I start getting texts immediately. So, uh, but, but uh, anyway, thanks. So we are now, okay, so last week we hired a student pastor. Yes, that is so exciting. And they're watching this morning, so that was a very good response. Um, and I, from what I understand, uh, they'll be in town this week setting his office up and and uh, then uh, starting with Ignition on the 20th, but Adam and Amber, we're very excited to have you join our family. And uh, we love you. And Tom's gone. I was going to say hi to Tom. Would you say hi to him later for me? Okay. Um, anyway, we are in the study of Acts, and we're, uh, um, and, and we're going to jump in there. We're going to be at the end of chapter 6 and in chapter 7 today, so grab your Bibles at home, and, or you can see it on the screen, and, and grab your Bibles and turn there. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 is actually uh, referred to often by the Believer's Hall of Fame of Faith. 
Uh, it's a common term. Uh, it speaks of both men and women who, who uh, lived as Paul encourages us to live in Colossians 3 with our minds fully focused on the realities of heaven rather than on earthly things. That is the battle for the child of God. First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. The difficulty of the Christian life is not having a right relationship with God. That's God's work. It's trusting him. That's our work. Trusting that in the chaos and the, and the craziness of potentially six inches of snow on top of a pandemic tomorrow, that God is still in control. It's, it's difficult to trust. And these men and women mentioned in Hebrews 11 seem to fully con, con, re, review life in such a way that they live the realities of heaven rather than on earthly things. These people were willing to put their trust in Christ so completely that, well, let's look together at what it says about them. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. And received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weaknesses were turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They, pay attention to this line, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. This, this text in Hebrew 11 says that, uh, speaks of men and women who, according to this very text, placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection rather than placing their hope in this life. Men and women like Stephen. The character in Acts we started talking about a couple weeks ago as we looked at Acts chapter 6. Warren Wearsby, uh, who was a pastor of the, of the Moody Church in Chicago and a, and a great speaker and, and uh, educator, says that there are two Greek words used in the New Testament for crowns of believers that they will receive in the next life. The first one you're familiar with, it's called the diadem. And it refers to the royal crown that all the children of God will receive as their inheritance, as the result of his work for us. We're saved because of his work, and we will receive this reward as a royal crown as children of the king of kings. The second crown uh, referred to in the New Testament is referred to in Revelation chapter 2.10, where it encourages the church to be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The English translation of that crown is the crown of life. But that crown's name is the Stephanos. The Stephanos. Named after this gentleman that we're looking at, this faithful man. Stephen. Who, as you already know, if you've been in the church for any number of years, becomes a martyr because of his faithfulness for the Lord. As we saw in our last look of Acts, Luke shows a lot of admiration for this man. But not because he, would be, he was willing to give his life. But actually how he lived is why he was so admired. He refers to him as a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. 
And now with that, let's jump back into our text of Acts chapter 6, verse 18. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Remember I told you that he's only one of three non-apostolic men uh, in the book of Acts that were able to perform miracles and supernatural events. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they pursued some men, uh, persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen, and they brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen. Pay attention why though. Because his face became as bright as an angel's. And that's where we ended our study two weeks ago on Stephen. Can we just take a moment, let's, let's pause for a moment and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us uh, very personally this morning. Father God, you have asked us to pick up our crosses and follow you. And this morning we're going to look at the story of a man who did that. And I pray, Father, that we would glean some, uh, glean some, some uh, golden nuggets for life. I, I pray, Father, that we would surrender ourselves a little bit more. And in this time that feels so chaotic with a new administration that often we find frustration with, in this time of COVID, which, which unnerves us, in this winter weather that's unusual, Father, may we firmly plant our hope in the next life rather than this one. We love you, and I ask you now, I ask your Holy Spirit that's, that lives within all of your children to speak to us in a very real and personal way. In your holy name we pray, amen. If you'll remember, uh, Moses' face also glowed after coming down from Mount Sinai uh, after meeting with the Lord. He wasn't aware of it. But when he got to the base of Mount Sinai, the people of Israel begged him to cover his face because the glow unnerved them and scared them. Well, it's happening here. This religious council was silenced and stared at him because it tells us the glory of the Lord was shining off of his face. Galatians 2.20 is not a sweet metaphorical verse, while it's a very popular verse in the New Testament, but it's not a metaphorical verse where Paul describes his life so that we can understand it better, or calls the followers of Jesus to a life like his. He's not speaking metaphorically, he's telling us how it is. And in Galatians 2.20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the word in, in the Greek, could have been through me. He's talking about something inside that just works its way out. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, Stephen, those listed in Hebrew 11 are all people who placed their hope in the next life over this one. They saw themselves in their lives having been crucified with Christ, and they no longer live for themselves, but they lived in this life by faith in God. Faith. A transfer of trust from self to God himself. From not depending on their own understanding, but actually trusting in God when they don't understand. I don't even know if Stephen knew his face was shining the day he stood before the council that we just read about. Moses didn't. 
But those who were looking at him sure did. And they stared at him because of it. Setting the stage for God to allow Stephen to accomplish his task for that day. And I want to say as we jump into this story, I want to tell you that the reason his face glowed isn't because everybody's face glowed who walks with God, but because this would be necessary for God to fulfill his task through Stephen on that day. The people in that community, in that committee, that team of leaders would need to hear the gospel presented to them. And so God did something in order to draw their attention to him. You cannot read this text and say, I want my face to glow. Moses' face glows, and that really is where the church is today. We read a story that seems kind of sweet, and we go, I want a piece of that. But there are only a couple people in history whose faces glowed, and the reason their faces glowed is because God knew that they would need their faces to glow in order to accomplish his task. We have become so self-centered that our call out to God is, I want a piece of that, instead of use me however you see fit. He did not ask God to make his face glow. But his face glowed nonetheless, because that would be necessary for what comes next. Stephen, who was not an apostle, who was not a deacon, he's not an elder, he's just basically plain old Stephen, childed God, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, completely surrendered to God who had saved him, the God who he trusted with his soul in the next life, and this one. So God put a spotlight on his face, and with his face aglow, this happens. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Wow, what a great start. This is, a, this is a softball pitch to this man. Then Stephen, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had had no child yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs of the Israelite nation. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him, and he rescued him from all of his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. Please notice that the reason that Joseph was smart was not just a luck of the draw or a high IQ. It says so that Pharaoh would put him in charge of the palace. The reason that he had the ability he had was so that God could be glorified and his plan accomplished. Verse 11, but a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan, and there was great misery, and our ancestors actually ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still food in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. 
The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 people in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamar's sons in Shechem. I want to be clear that all Stephen is doing here before the council is he's doing a history lesson. He's answering the priest's question. And he was about to show him how wrong their understanding of the history of the Israelite people was. He had just told them about the promises God had made to Abraham that they all felt God had forgotten, that even Abraham didn't see come to fruition. Verse 17, as the, tri- as the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. And when they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, please pay attention, 40 years of age, he actually is led to deliver the people at 80 years of age, but at 40 years of age, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating the Israelites, so Moses came to this man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Now this next sentence is very important. Moses assumed, you, you know what people say if you assume stuff, right? I'm not allowed to say it from a Baptist pulpit. But Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. There's only one problem. He hadn't. He just assumed he had. But they didn't. I'd like to point out that God had not actually sent Moses at this time. He had not sent him to kill that man, to start a revolution within the hearts of the Israelites, even though he assumed that's what God wanted him to do. God had his own plan to redeem this people, and he did not need Moses' human help and understanding to do it his own way. And look what happens when Moses takes things into his own militant hands. The next day, he visited them again, and he saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Many said, your brothers, why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Whoa. Things didn't play out as Moses had expected. He had done what he thought was the the best in claiming God's call on his life. He was doing what he thought was best for the nation of Israel. He took things into his own hands and made a mess of things. Sidebar, be careful Christians. You may think you know what God wants you to do, and you may think you know his plan, but much of the Old Testament is written by people who claim to be following God, taking things into their own hands. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. But do not act until he clearly tells you to. Verse 29. When Moses heard that, he fled the country and he had lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. 
Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the, in the flame of burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look then. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, what made you ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. Man, just take a breath here for a second. How the council loved Moses. Oh, how they loved Moses. And even though they didn't agree with every little detail that, that Stephen was laying out for them, even though they thought this unschooled man was trying to school them, the truth was they probably loved everything he was saying, which is why they let him keep talking. They had, they had to love what Stephen was saying about old Mo, their hero. Might I remind you that this is the exact same counsel that killed Jesus because he wasn't enough like Moses. Verse 39, it's fixing to change. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of the, this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing that had been made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. In the book of the prophets, it's written, was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 days in the wilderness, Israel? No. You carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Moloch, the star of your god, Raphan and the images you made to worship them. So I send you into exile as far as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to God's plan and shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that drove out, us out of the land, the tabernacle was taken with, with them into our new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? Now, look, I want you to get this. I know this is long, but Stephen is setting them up for the real truth that God wants him to proclaim to them. And so far, although they don't like everything he's saying, what they really don't like is he exposed the Jewish elephant in the room, that they tried to kill Moses, that they over and over rejected God, that over and over they disobeyed him when God said, I want to be your king. They said, no, we want Saul. He exposes the elephant in the room. They couldn't deny it was true, nor did they. So they continue to listen. And so he continued to talk. You stubborn people, he said. 
You are heathen at heart and death to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. Okay, just, just so you know. Okay, these aren't kind words to the people who are reigning over you as you're in chains in front of them. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't, didn't persecute. How to make friends and influence people. They even killed the ones who, uh, who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. Oh, that's nice. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Can you imagine what the other believers standing there with Stephen were thinking? What his wife must have been thinking? He's going to get himself killed. See what I did there? You know who Stephen sounds like, don't you? Jesus. Jesus. He explains the history to the Jews. He spoke exactly the same to the right-wing nationalistic religious leaders of their day. And I think it's a good time to pause here and remember what 2 Corinthians 2, 14-16 says. Because it actually explains what's about to happen. God has made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Please notice that the message of the believer is not nationalism, or moralism, or republicanism, or liberalism. The message of the follower of Jesus is to spread the knowledge of Christ. To spread the knowledge of Christ. What's the message you're spreading with your life, my friend? What's the thing people learn about you when they read your Facebook posts? What are you most passionate for? What do your kids believe about you? What do your grandkids know is the message of your life? It's supposed to be to the child of God. It's supposed to be spreading the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. Verse 15, he goes on in 2 Corinthians 2.15, Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Back to Acts 7, verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated at Stephen's accusation. I guess we know what he smelled like to them. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He even saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is one of the most amazing visions of Christ in the whole Bible. In the New Testament, when we see Jesus in heaven, he's usually seated at the Father's right hand. But here, Jesus, who before Stephen was even born, according to Ephesians 2.10, had chosen him for a task. And this moment, he was not simply sitting back and watching his boy do his thing alone before a council. Jesus has risen from his seat next to the Father, and he's leaning forward as if to say, finish it, boy. Finish it and come home. Come on, son. 
finish your task. When he was speaking to the council, without him even knowing that God is seen through him glowing. When, when, when the followers of Jesus, the 120, were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and they start speaking in the languages of the people there, it was God doing that through them. It wasn't them. The church has begun to believe that with enough creativity and enough thought and the right hired people, we can become a force for, for morality in this culture. And I'm here to tell you, it never worked. We are a force with one message, and that is the message of the knowledge of Christ. Salvation through faith in Christ alone, through the power of God who loves us and sent his son to die for us and them. I was accused recently of loving gays. Guilty. Guilty. I love murderers and gays. I love people who are adulterers. The message of the gospel is for immoral people, not people who are self-righteous and on their way to hell. The message of the gospel was also for the council who were about to put Stephen to death because there's a young mentor of this council who you're going to read in the last verse we look at today, holding their coats as they kill him. And his name is... Paul, who would write at least 15 of the New Testament books, the, the, the premier theological teacher of the church. He was standing in that crowd. Jesus had died for him, even though he's going to murder this man. We forget that. We forget that our message here is the knowledge of Christ, not maintaining our country or saving our country. Countries don't go to heaven. People do. Countries don't go to hell. People do. And the reason we're here is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to anyone and everyone that will listen. Verse 55 again, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, st gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. As I read that this week, I thought of Psalm 116, verse 15, that I, I love to tell at funerals of believers. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. God doesn't have an, an affection for us. He loves us. At the end of John 17, which is prayer, right before he's arrested, he prays that God will bring us to him so that where he is, we can be with him. God longs for his children to be physically in his presence. The only reason we're here enduring this life is because there's a task for us to do. And some of our faces may glow, and some of us may speak in tongues, and some of us may raise the dead, and some of us may live lives of... Uh, the only supernatural thing is the transformation God has done. But we are here for a purpose. You don't have to aspire like I did as a young man to be Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Peter, or John. You just aspire to be the man or woman of God that he created you to be with tasks in place for us. As Peter is, or as, I'm sorry, Stephen is standing there and he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He tells the, the council, look, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He tells the council, hey guys, look, forget that, the history lesson, look, there he is. 
Then they put their hands over their ears and they begin shouting. Okay, I'm going to act this out for you because you've got to picture this. Their response to him going, look, there's Jesus in heaven standing next to the Father is not, what's he talking about? Hey, do you see it? It's blah, 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 blah. These people aren't truth seekers. They're religious people who are so sure that they know the answer to every question, they're not seeking truth anymore. God help the Baptist church if we have stopped seeking truth. God help us if we are more committed to the Baptist faith and message than we are Jesus Christ. God help the Assembly of God church who is more committed to worship than truth. God help us if we're so committed to our, our historical faith than we are to the Word of God that is always, always sharper than a two-edged sword, refining us, helping us to understand, together coming to reason around His Word, to learn of the character and love of God. He looks up and, and he says, do you see him? And they put their hands over their ears and they begin shouting. And then they rushed at him and they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at, a, at the feet of a young man named Saul. I love that. You already knew that was coming. We already talked about it. He's going to offer most of, he's going to author most of the New Testament, this guy. Do you remember? I know you do. Do you remember, though, as he's being pummeled with stones, as he's bleeding, is his face feels that. And you know what that feels like? Have you ever banged your head and you don't feel pain at first? You just hear the sound? I remember when I was, uh, I, I, I know this is going to shock you because I look like I am. I'm not very athletic. That was not what you should have laughed at, Pam. But I was playing, I was playing out in the fee, outfield at, in my Christian high school, and a guy hit the ball, and it went, it went over a fence behind me into the tennis courts. And I, I wanted to get him out. It bounced, and it went over. And we were just a pickup game, so it wasn't out of bounds. And I, I remember running in. There was a gate there, a tennis gate. And I pushed it. And have you ever had a gate, an old chain link gate that goes in like six inches, and then it stops real fast, and it bounces back? Well, I still to this day, I was in high school, I still to this day remember that feeling. It didn't feel like anything. There was no pain. There was just a big bang, like, like the one that started the earth. But the, <laughs> sorry, my mind rattles. But there was just a, I, I mean, I, I know you can, you've, you've had this happen when you like hit your head on something, and, it, and I pushed it, and the thing came back and hit me, and I remember going, oh, 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 and everybody's like, ooh. And I just remember lowering my hands, and it was full of blood because your face bleeds. But there wasn't really any pain. There was just a freak out when all of a sudden I looked up and my face started growing. Um, Stephen is being pummeled with rocks. And they're throwing him not to hurt him, but they're throwing him at him to kill him. The end of this is a pile. Of, this is how the Jews, based on the Old Testament, killed a heretic. And at the end, there's a pile of stones. And that's what they leave it. You walk by and you go, that's ah, somebody was killed there. It's just a pile of rocks. That's what he's experiencing. But while he's experiencing it, as they stoned him, verse 59 says, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, take my spirit. Here I come. And he fell to his knees. So he's dying. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. 
What? I don't know about you, but I'd be yelling, you're going to get yours. Heck, half of us are doing it on, on Facebook right now. You're going to get yours. You may have won the election, but you're going to get yours. But that's not Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit's heart. Stephen sounds like, uh, what's that guy's name? Who else said this? Jesus. Who, while he's being killed, looks up into heaven and says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Who does that? Spirit-controlled people. Many of them. Have you read Fox's Book of Martyrs? People are singing songs of worship as they're going into eternity. One of uh, Zach and I, when he was in college, he was talking a lot about the sacrifice of the, that we're asked to do. And he was reading a story, and I don't even remember who this guy is, but it had a huge impact on me. But there was a, a, a faithful man of God, I think he was a minister, that was thrown on a spit to be roasted because he was faithful to the Lord and wouldn't bow to the Roman government. And his cry to them was, turn me over, I'm not done yet. You remember Peter's cry? Hang me upside down. I'm not even worthy to be killed like my Lord. This is unbelievable. Don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So two thoughts as I wrap up. Number one, why are the unsaved people so immoral, so evil? Why are so many of them? Why would they do this to a person? Why wouldn't they just write him off as, as a weirdo? You know, the Bible actually answers that question. Romans chapter 1 says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Though everything God, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing him. Yes, they knew God, but they refused to worship him as God or even give him thanks. So what do they do? They begin to think up foolish ideas about what God is like. And as the result, their minds became dark and confused. Uh, the King James uses the word depraved. Depravity is foolish. It means ridiculous. Uh, what does it look like? Depravity looks like a government that says that there's really no such thing as genetically being male or female, but celebrates the first woman vice president in the history of a country. That's depravity. I, I'm not making a political statement, but that's how stupid you get. There are no women. There are no men. Let me introduce you to my wife. It's, 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 and, and, and don't even sense that that's weird. That's depravity. He turned them over to it. The judgment of God on the world is not fire from heaven at this point. It's depravity. Let me follow. Claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So, verse 24, God abandons them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator itself. And now we worship creation. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. 
Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and, and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they never should have. And we think, oh, look at America today. Isn't God depressed? No, he's letting them do it. He's not done. Why would he let them do it? Because he hasn't brought in all those he's bringing into the family of God yet. That's what 1 Peter tells us. When you take the whole New Testament together, you begin to understand. Well, I don't want it to go that way. Well, this is the way of the world. This is how it works. Their lives became, verse 29, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. It's not just homosexuality. And, and the church loves to harp on that. But look at the other sins that are the result of depravity. Greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Sounds like a Baptist church to me. I'm picking on Baptist today, I shouldn't. Sounds like a lot of the evangelical churches I've been a part of. They are backstabbers. Haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. What? It's a result of depravity. Why would you ever tell your mom and dad off when they feed you three times a day? That's pretty stupid. Why would you ever disrespect somebody who makes you safe? Because you're depraved. You're darkened in your thinking. You've become dumb. If you do that to a boss, you become unemployed. Your parents are under some sort of weird obligation to take care of you until you're 18 and then boot you out. My son will... I'm not going to go into my own family. I, one of the reasons we were so successful with our kids is my son thought I would kick him out on 18 years and one day. And the truth is, if he would have destroyed his life and he wasn't listening to wisdom, I would have for his own good. The best place to learn is under a bridge. Stop feeding people who live under bridges. They're supposed to be hungry. The Salvation Army has a place for them. So does God tell. And every time I get a call about somebody who wants me to put them in a hotel, they always give me 12 reasons why they don't want to go to God tell. We're not helping them. We're enabling them for their, to, to avoid the pain of self-destruction. Depravity makes you stupid. I'll keep going. Backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, look at the last line. They encourage others to do them too. That is why unbelievers and our world are so blind and depraved today. Christians, you know this passage. Why do you act so surprised? This is not the most evil time in history. The days of Noah were. This is not the most immoral time. It can get way worse. Read Sodom and Gomorrah where the men of town were raping all the male guests. We act like, oh, calm down. God even tells us why it's like this. You know this. You know this text. We should stop acting so shocked like this is new information. 
This information, though, was not written to help us fight evil. It was written so that in evil days, we still have our hope firmly planted in God. In God. Not in Ravi Zacharias or, or in, uh, in worship teams from Australia or in pastors. In God. We are not here to spread the knowledge of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church or the Evangelical Church or Republicanism. We are here to spread the good news of Jesus Christ who loves them and gave himself for them, straight or gay, adulterers or not, disrespectful to parents or not disrespectful. When you look at this, it explains why. What's the problem with people? They don't bow the knee to God anymore. So what is my goal as an American citizen? To introduce people who do not worship the one true living God with him. And if we introduce them and disciple them, guess what's going to change? Our country, our community, our rhetoric, what we watch on Netflix. Because our hearts will be focused on God. And yes, some of us will die. The first question was, why are unbelievers so screwed up? Because that's what happens when you don't focus on God. Why do bad things happen to good people or God's people? Because there are no good people. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. So why do bad things happen to God's people? 2 Corinthians 2, 14-16. He has made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. What does that mean? He's leading us into his ministry. We're like a huge circus that walks down the road in a, in a foreign town. And people look at us and they see our elephants. And, and some want to come to our show and some don't want anything to do with us. Some want to tell us that we hurt elephants. But we are the procession of God. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Unless we don't talk about him. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. We are a sweet perfume in the nostrils of the King of Kings. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who Romans 1 describes, you are the dreadful smell of death and doom. You remind them of VBS when they were five years of age or a message they heard in a church where the pastor said, accept Jesus Christ or spend eternity condemned. You stink to them. You remind them of accountability. You remind them that there is a judge with a capital J, a king of kings and lord of lords, judge of judges. You remind them that there is no condem there is only condemnation outside of Jesus, but there is no condemnation with him. You remind them that there's no way to the Father but through Jesus. Your life reminds them of the coming cost. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume, which is why we gather. Because we smell. To those who are not joining us, we stink. To those who are, we're reminded that God is good. Quit making eyes at me, Zach. It's distracting. It doesn't matter, you guys, what you've done. What matters is whose you are. Where your focus is. Walk with Jesus. Be a life-giving pursuit. 
And you might be thinking, I don't want to die like Stephen. Well, you can sure live like the council if you choose to. Those are your two options. There's no middle ground. It isn't complicated. They hated our Jesus and they killed him. And the more we become like him, the more they're going to treat us like they treated him. The only question is, do we see our lives, ourselves, as crucified with Christ, emptied of our rights, living out every day by faith in God, putting our hope in the next life? Or are we Moses at 40, taking things into our own hands, trying to maintain what we think God wants us to maintain? And we still won't accomplish that. Because God's plan will come to fruition. Last thing. Jesus did say to the crowd, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. What do you think he meant? Pick up a death article and follow me. Where did he think he was we where do you think he was asking us to go? Golgotha. It's not that complicated. We just want to blow it off. We want to cover our ears and go, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that part. You have to talk about that part. Because the part right after that is, my hope is in the next life, not in this. YOLO's a lie. We live twice. And this is the less important. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for winter. Thank you for the fun we're going to have if our power doesn't go out in the next 48 hours. Thank you that we're going to be reminded as we look at that beautiful snow and our kids go into the yard and play. We're going to be reminded that you cover up the dead grass. It is going to be beautiful if our power stays on. We ask that the power stays on. But Father, like that snow falls on the ground and covers up our driveways and our roads and our couches and our front yards... You have covered our sin. And it is a beautiful thing. And while there are scars, we do not look back or look down. We look forward. And we are excited about going home. So fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's going to be a blast the next week. I mean, it's going to be crazy if your power stays on. If your power goes out and you need warmth, the power never goes out in God's house. Unfortunately, we're not available to the temple right now, but you can come to Carpenter's Way if you need a warm place if our power's on. Love you guys. Have a great week. It's going to be fun. And get off the roads tonight, okay? <laughs>